I think everybody judges themselves at some point. And I used to do that a lot. I used to, like before my cancer diagnosis, I used to, you know, sit in meetings at work and kind of kicking myself silently, like, why didn't you say that better? Why didn't you speak up? And, you know, people aren't going to respect you unless you speak as well as the other person across the table and all that sort of thing. I was full of that. And through these many years of practicing mindfulness and really honestly understanding what this non-judgment means, it's, it's judging less, but it's also finding acceptance in yourself. And everybody's different and everybody brings a uniqueness to this world. And we're our own worst critics. Hey, my friends, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Garg Show. This is a podcast about helping you live a fulfilled life. And my job on the show is to sit with the world-class experts to extract the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. Every Friday, I share a newsletter which mentions what I'm learning new, recent podcast updates, things I'm experimenting with, books I'm reading or just anything. You can find the newsletter link at https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me. And today's guest is Wendy Quinn. Wendy is the pioneer and industry leader in workplace mindfulness facilitator training and certification through her business, The Calm Monkey. Her program is a very practical, showing experienced meditators the best practices of how to implement mindfulness at work and become a skilled mindfulness facilitator. She is also a pioneer in combining change management with mindfulness to help people through difficult change. She has taught at high-profile events such as the Greater Good Science of UC Berkeley and Mindfulness Industry Conferences. She is a respected expert for workplace mindfulness. In this episode, she talks about holistic way of looking at things, her transition from a corporate job to a business owner, a deep dive into mindfulness, and much, much more. If you are walking, driving, cooking food, or wherever you are listening to this episode, you will enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Wendy. Wendy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Nishant. It's great to be here with you and your audience. It is my pleasure to be with you. It has taken us a few months, quite a few months to do this with you. So I thought, how about we start with your business title, The Calm Monkey. I am curious to ask you, what is Calm Monkey and how did you come up with this Title, is there any story behind this? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. A lot of people comment on, on liking the, the business name. So it's the Calm Monkey. And, you know, I was just sitting with my friend one day as I was starting my business. My, my business is all about helping passionate practitioners of meditation and mindfulness learn how to facilitate this and introduce it to other people whether it's in the community or in the workplace. So I'm sitting with my friend at a restaurant thinking it's really hard to come up with business names. And, you know, people that know about mindfulness know about the concept of the monkey mind. The monkey mind, of course, is when your mind is jumping around and kind of stressing you out and you're having all these disparate thoughts. And I thought, 
doesn't it make sense to call what I'm doing the calm monkey to help calm the monkey mind? So it's pretty, pretty much as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And when was that? Oh, goodness. I think it was 2015. I've been leading mindfulness and meditation sessions in the workplace since 2011. And then I was an organizational change manager at the time, and I was doing this mindfulness facilitation with other companies on the side. And it was in 2016 that I actually quit my corporate career that was going really well and paying, you know, paying well and all the benefits. And I decided to take the big leap, leap of faith and, and start the Calm Monkey full time and leave my corporate career. As a listener to this podcast, I'm wondering how should I calm my monkey mind? How should I live a life of less stress and more calm? So what would you recommend? Oh, there's, that's a big subject, right? But your audience probably knows about mindfulness, you know, being present to what's happening within you and around you with less judgment and being focused and attentive and aware with and living life with intention. So to me, I wonder if I can tell my personal story at this point. Would you like that? (laughs) Because it, it fits with your question. I'm actually a very type A personality, but people that meet me and know me always said, Oh, Wendy, you know, you're you're so calm and your voice is so calming. And I've always had that said about me, but But before, you know, my whole life, I was actually very stressed out and anxious on the inside. So my external self did not match my internal self. And I think everybody can, you know, probably relate to that at some level that, you know, we we have to show a a certain face um, at work, for instance. And that's what I was doing. So I was a really stressed out person. And I kind of realized that, but quite honestly, I didn't actually care. Or, or maybe more accurately, I, I thought, you know, everybody's got to deal with this. You know, I was, had a big job, I had a mortgage, I had a family, I was going through a divorce and all that sort of thing. So I was not a calm person at all. And I discovered mindfulness and meditation years and years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, but I didn't take it all that seriously, to be honest with you, until I got the whack on the side of the head, and I got a cancer diagnosis in year 2010. And that, of course, changed everything in my life. It stopped me in my tracks. And that is when mindfulness meditation became really the cornerstone of getting me through the whole cancer journey and giving me the strength to deal with all the tough stuff I had to deal with, the decisions I had to make, and the major lifestyle changes I decided to make and to calm that mind and find that sort of inner strength and groundedness to deal with all of that. So that's, uh, that's when I decided to get really serious about mindfulness meditation. I took lots of courses. I read books. I did lots and lots of practice, talked to everybody I could about it. And basically what happened is when I went back to my corporate job, I was working at Pacific Blue Cross. A lot of people know the Blue Crosses. And I was the organizational change manager. So I was actually in part of a major transformation in the company, a seven-year business transformation. And it was a really stressful project. 
So after dealing with the cancer, I was actually, I was actually very fearful about going back to work because I thought maybe my job, the stress of my job is what created my cancer. So as you can imagine, I was really scared to go back to work and I just kept practicing mindfulness and meditation and I found that strength to, to go back to work and experience my job differently. Even though the job was the same and the stresses were the same, I, I was able to create a different experience for myself through mindfulness and meditation. And basically what happened is my coworkers noticed what I was, how I was, and, they, and I guess I talked a lot about mindfulness meditation. So this was in 2011 when you can imagine nobody was talking really about meditation mm -hmm. or if you were, right, it was a closet practice. You didn't really tell people that you were doing it, right? So, so they asked me to teach them what I knew. And that's how this whole story and journey began as I, I did this for my coworkers on a volunteer basis. And, the, and I was able to collect the benefits into a white paper that eventually won an award uh, from the Global Institute of Change Management Professionals. And it all just went from there. I started helping other companies with this. I was invited to speak about this at the, the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. And then I created a product. I created a training and certification program for mindfulness facilitators. And that's what I taught at UC Berkeley at one of their conferences. And it just, you know, Nishant, it just went from there. And, <laughs> and one thing led to another. And I, when I quit my corporate job and did this full time, Lo and behold, can you believe it? My first major client was Google. Wow. <laughs> yeah, are, wow. I still can't believe that when I say it. There are many follow-up questions that I would love to ask you in this story. Okay. So thank you so much for sharing your story. In the preparation of this conversation, I read that in 2010, you were diagnosed with cancer and the life you knew came mm -hmm. to a halt. Mm -hmm. So Wendy, what kind of life you mean here that came to a halt? I think it's just kind of the mindset of the rat race, you know, of feeling like we never have enough time and feeling like we have to be a certain way and show up in the world a certain way and kind of putting on this um, face, this persona. So it really was an internal thing. You know, when you get a diagnosis serious diagnosis like cancer, obviously a lot of things change and you, you know, you, you can't work at your job in the same way, your finances get impacted, your emotions get impacted, your friends change, all sorts of things, right? But, but really, when I said that, I think I'm talking mostly about the internal shift I had in my state of being because of practicing mindfulness and meditation every day. Does that answer your certainly, question? Yes, I can mm -hmm. certainly understand the repercussions of having a cancer because my elder brother got blood cancer in 2014 and mm. he died in just two months. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, Wendy, I want to ask you what kind of cancer you were diagnosed? It's breast cancer. It was kind of mid-stage, and it was a fairly aggressive type. 
That's a whole story too, which I, I don't know if you want to get into, but basically, just as it relates to what we're talking about with mindfulness, I went through the traditional path, like going to my doctor, then going to an oncologist. And I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And, you know, we're known for having a really good cancer agency here. And, and we do, it is good. But there was something inside of me, my intuition that told me going through the traditional radiation and, and chemotherapy and all of that wasn't right for me. But I didn't know what else to do. I just had this intuition that, you know, I, I wanted to find something else. So I believe in integrative medicine. So I did some of the traditional path. I did surgery and I did see an oncologist, but I also went on a quest basically to find credible sources of integrative and natural medicine. And I was able to do that successfully. So by changing a lot in my life, I actually beat the cancer and I'm cancer free now by using like more integrative and natural methods. And I needed the meditation and mindfulness to help me do that. Were you practicing mindfulness and meditation even before your cancer diagnosis? Just a little bit, not, not regularly. So how so, your meditation practice got transformed and shifted after your diagnosis? Oh, well, I, I decided to sit in meditation for at least an hour a day. And then I started to learn what mindfulness was. Because unless you have a, a skilled facilitator or teacher, it's actually a little bit tricky to understand the differences and the crossovers between mindfulness and meditation. So I went on that quest to understand the differences. And I can talk about that a little yes, bit if you'd like. Please. Yes, yeah, okay. We'd love to know the differences. Okay, because um, this is what I teach. I do a lot of public speaking and, and conferences and whatnot. And I, I, it's interesting. I find people really like to hear about this. So I'll try to keep it rather short. But mindfulness and meditation are not the same thing, but there are definitely crossovers. So mindfulness is you know, about paying attention, being in the present moment. So being present to what's happening within you and around you with, without judgment or less judgment, being focused and aware, right? So you can do mindfulness during your day as you go about your daily life. You can be mindful when you're interacting with people, when you're doing anything in your life, you can be mindful. So that's mindfulness, right? So it's part of your day. Meditation is very misunderstood, I think. To me, meditation is about carving out time in your day and sitting and doing a meditation of your choice. So meditation is about concentration. And there's a lot of different kinds of meditation. It doesn't have to be about calming your mind or emptying your mind. It can be lots of different things. There's mindfulness meditation, there's guided visualizations, for instance, which are really designed usually to relax you and take you away from the present moment. There's yoga and tai chi, which are moving meditations. There's TM, transcendental meditation. There's lots of different kinds of meditations. So basically, simply put, I say that meditation is carving out time in your day to, be, to do a meditation that you choose, and it's about concentration. Okay, so 
where the two intersect with the term mindfulness meditation, that's when you're doing a meditation that keeps you in the present moment. So that's as simple as that. So mindfulness meditation are meditations that keep you in the present moment. And a really good example of that is a breath meditation where you're experiencing the present moment with your senses and staying present. So does that make sense? It does. And uh, it brings another follow-up question in my mind. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that breath meditation is a mindfulness practice. I'm going to paraphrase here. Mm-hmm. A mindfulness practice to be in the present moment. What mm-hmm. do you think about other kinds of meditation, such as guided meditation, visualized meditation, loving kindness meditation? Are they mm-hmm. not designed for being in the present moment? They can be. You know, it's really, really difficult to categorize everything very succinctly. It's not black and white. That's why when you Google on the internet, you know, what's the difference between mindfulness and meditation? It's not that easy to find a really good description. So it's not that black and white. And absolutely, there's a lot of really good reasons to do non-mindfulness meditations. It just really depends on what your goal is with meditation. If your goal is relaxation, then you might do like a guided visualization that asks you to you know, think about a time when you were on a sandy beach on vacation or whatever you find relaxing, right? So hopefully that makes sense. There's lots of different meditations and they all have kind of different purposes. What is your personal favorite choice of meditation on a daily basis? Ah, that's a really good question. I've got a number of them that I do because moment to moment we're different. Like our mood changes right? And how we feel day-to-day changes. So I don't really have a favorite, but I do have a handful of ones that I, I do depending on what I need. And quite honestly, a lot of my meditations are more spiritual in nature. I don't follow any particular religion. And when I teach facilitators, I make sure that they are, are doing their facilitation in a secular manner, meaning non-spiritual and non-religious. But for me personally, I do have a lot of spiritual type meditations that I do. Could you name those med- spiritual meditation types? <laughs> I, I, no, I can't really categorize it, but I would say that I often sit in connection with a higher being, with something bigger than myself, whether you want to call that the universe or source or whatever you'd like to call it. When I'm doing spiritual meditations, I sit uh, in gratitude. I start with sitting in gratitude to get in this beautiful kind of ascended state of feeling and energy. And then I connect to something bigger than myself. I was going through your Twitter account, and this is a quote that I'm going to read from your Twitter account. Gratitude is the reverence for things that are given to you. From Dakar Keltner, uh, maybe I'm mispronouncing the name, from the Greater Good Science Center. I want to ask you, what are the things given to you by your parents or through universe that you have really cherished in your life and are grateful for? 
Wow, what a what a question. I love it. So you're asking what are the things the universe has given to me that I'm grateful for? Yes. Mm. Oh, so many things. When people get to know me, they and go deeper than just a casual conversation. What we start to talk about is living life with intention and purpose. And I personally feel that a lot can be manifested in your life with the right kind of intention. And so when you ask me about what the universe has given me, I start to think about intention and manifestation. And ever since my cancer diagnosis, you know, I I have to say that all of the major things that have happened in my life over the last 10 years has been in that category. And I sit in in trust and in flow in my life, and I'm really clear on what I would love to happen next. Does that answer your question? Yes. Could you share any memorable moments that have happened to you in the last 10 years after your cancer diagnosis? Any instance that comes to your mind? Mm. This whole journey, starting to do mindfulness in organizations and training facilitators and starting the Calm Monkey and all of that, every single step has been, has been that. I mean, I started off kind of small. And when I started doing this, I thought, wouldn't it be neat if what I was doing was something that the local paper, like the Vancouver Sun is our local paper here in Vancouver, wouldn't it be nice that people would care enough enough to write an article about what I'm doing? Because again, it was in 2011, right? When nobody was talking about this. And lo and behold, I think it was three months later, I got a call out of the blue and said, you know, we've heard about you and wondered if you would like to do a, a video and have an article written about you about mindfulness in the workplace. So that was the first example. But then there are so many other examples. I said, you know, when I take the leap of faith to quit my corporate job and start this from scratch and nobody else in the world is doing this because nobody else was training facilitators, there are, there are definitely a lot of excellent meditation teacher training programs. But what I do is, is it's not extensive like teacher training programs, but it teaches people how to skillfully introduce this to the workplace. Like how do you get corporate support? And once you have that support, how do you design a program? And then how do you lead effectively? So it's both how to facilitate as well as how to implement in the workplace. So when I started doing this, I thought, when I took the leap and I started the Calm Monkey, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a really notable client that people knew? Like if I said, you know, Company X is my client, they'd know who that was. Mm -hmm. And who would have thought Google (laughs) would have been the first one? Because those who have been following the mindfulness field probably know that Google is one of the first companies, they started in 2009, I believe, they were one of the first companies to do mindfulness in the workplace. And lots and lots of articles have been written about them. So that's another example. And then I thought, wouldn't it be neat to be able to stand up and speak 
professionally at conferences about this. Even though I'm actually a pretty shy person, and even though I'm not comfortable speaking in public, I am kind of now just because I've done it so much. But at the time, you know, even though it was something that scared me, I thought the only way I can help people in the world and get the, the word out is to speak publicly and then to show other people, like facilitators, how to do this as well. So it's just a ripple effect. And I would love to ask you about your transition from your corporate job to being a full-time business owner, the Calm Monkey. There are a lot of people who want to quit their job because they have another purpose, but they may not be sure how to quit their full-time job and do something they really want to do. I want to ask you, Wendy, what steps or measures did you take a few years ago to, to completely transit to your <laughs> business? That's a big question and a really good question. Okay, let me think back. So in my situation, my entire life, I've had corporate management roles. So always, you know, human resources management, IT management, change management. I had no experience at all running a business, being an entrepreneur, marketing, business development. I had no experience with that. So I was taking a leap of faith. And to be honest, I mean, I think I, I, I wanted to do this for about three years before I actually had the courage to do that and start a business. So what I, what I had to do, I think, is first realize what I didn't know. So I did take a lot of workshops about starting up your own business, all the nuts and bolts and basics. And that was super helpful to kind of see where my blind spots were. And then I started learning to fill those blind spots by getting some coaching, by taking some courses. And, you know, I know, especially now with COVID happening, and even before COVID, so many people are just tired of their jobs for whatever reason. And they would love to do something that they're interested in and more passionate about. And, and that's what I wanted to do too. And yeah, I'm being very open about this. What was really important to me at that point in my life was to make a positive difference as best as I could for other people and to help other people discover mindfulness and meditation because I know how much it helped me and the other people that were coming to my classes. And, you know, I left a, a pretty good corporate job. And when you... When you do this, I guess my advice to people is you have to have enough savings to do this because that is starting a, good one. a <laughs> oh boy, you know, and my business coach said to me, Wendy, did you realize that what you're doing is the hardest business to start up and it has the most, the highest failure rate? And the reason he said this is because when you're starting a business, that nobody knows about, like whatever your product or service is, if nobody really knows what it is, then you have to spend so much time educating people, first of all, as to what it is you're doing, let alone so-called opening their wallets to pay you something, right? And at the time I was doing facilitator training and learning to implement mindfulness in the workplace, nobody was doing that at the time. So 
<laughs> so, okay. So the, the, the short answer, I guess, is that for me, this comes from the heart and it's more of an altruistic endeavor. I don't make as much as I did in my corporate job, but for me and this point in my life, that's okay. How much savings do you recommend to somebody who wants to quit their job and start a new business? Yeah, good question. I would say two to three years worth of salary. And I don't know what experts say, but the first year, honestly, you're just sort of bumbling around and kind of <laughs> figuring out, okay, what am I offering? How do I communicate it? What website do I create? What software do I need? And you know, and then sort of as the months go by, then you start to think about prospecting and making contacts and networking. And you iterate and iterate over and over again. And you have to have this humbleness about you that no matter how much you think about it and analyze what you're doing, you just don't know what people truly want unless, until you start talking to people and hearing what they're saying and what they're, uh, what they're understanding about what you're doing and where's their resistance points. If they're not going to buy something from you, you have to really listen carefully as to why not. And there is a lot of trials and experiments a lot of failures. I'm doing this podcasting, which came as a result of trying so many things in the last three years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I agree with you, what you're saying. It is just, you don't know what you don't know. You just keep trying and keep failing in the real world and having that grit of not quitting and keep trying new approaches when one approach isn't working for you. Yeah. That's really good insight that you have. And, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt. And, you know, and then when you're, when you have your own business, anyway, it's similar to what I'm doing. It's, there's not a steady income. It just comes in chunks. <laughs> and I would go for weeks and weeks and weeks, not making a cent. And boy, oh boy, is that hard to get through, right? And my first year, it was like, oh, you know, you just feel this constant sort of pressure that you're really putting on yourself to, to try to make that money. And why aren't people just buying it? Because it's such a good product or service, right? And at one point, I don't know when it was, maybe about a year, year and a half into this, I decided to just surrender and trust that what I'm doing is the right thing to do and it's going to help a lot of people. And for some I guess for some reason when I when I let, left the the pressure of that I was putting on myself and surrendering to this trust and flow things really did start to flow. And there is a saying, a spiritual saying that what is yours will be yours. There is a right time for everything and it mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we stop making efforts. We have to keep making efforts. And yes. the, when the time is correct or the right time, the things start to fall in the right place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everything, even if it looks like a failure. So let's say, let's say I did a talk for a group of people and I didn't feel like they really resonated with what I said. Even if 
even if that happened, you never know who's in the audience. And it only takes like one person to kind of come up to you afterwards or even a year later. I've had people come to me a year, two years after I did a presentation and said, oh, Wendy, you know, I was in your session in Las Vegas in 2015. And, you know, I'm ready now to do something about it. You know, it's just amazing the ripple effect and that you just don't know. So even if something feels like a failure, there's always a learning in it. And there's always going to be people who kind of show up later. Uh, that's what I found. Yes, Everything leads to something else. And Wendy, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned about the use of integrative medicine along with your radiation therapy during your cancer diagnosis. Could you talk to us more in detail about integrative medicine? What kind of practices did you have in this healing modality, so to speak? Okay, again, you ask such great questions. And that's that's a big answer. I'll try to keep it short, but basically... We have a lot of time, please. Go into <laughs> well, <laughs> All right. I decided to have surgery, but I didn't want radiation. And they put me on hormone therapy, and that didn't feel right to me either, so I stopped that. And I thought, well, what, what am I going to do? And, you know, it's, I approach things in a holistic way, and I really, truly believe that disease can't grow in your body if you change the biological environment of your body. That seems really simple, right? But we don't often think of it that way. So how do we change the biological internal system of our body? Well, it's a lot of things. There's not one magical thing. So to me, it was certainly nutrition. So even though I don't think I was actually eating that badly before, you know, I reduced my sugar. I'm eating mostly organics. I really notice what I'm putting into my body. I take a lot of supplements. I've learned you know, that certain supplements, for instance, are really key to making sure that your body is healthy. Like, Do you um, still have any supplement in your oh, present life? Oh, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh my goodness. Unfortunately, I have so many of them. It's a whole handful that I take every day. It's, it's magnesium and vitamin D and mushroom extracts for immunity vitamin K2, CoQ10, Brocogen, which is a strong broccoli extract that's really good for anti-cancer, and I think specifically for breast cancer, if I'm not mistaken, a multinutrient, multivitamin, mm -hmm. iodine. Oh, gee, I'm just kind of talking off the top of my head. Those are the main ones, I think. So I do a lot of supplementation. I watch what I eat and I, I learn about what I'm eating. And I learned a lot about how to prepare food in a healthy way. So food, of course, is, is a big thing, but it's also mindset. Huge, huge, huge. And that's where I think this all comes into play. The mindfulness of meditation changes your state of being. It changes your mindset. It evokes invokes the relaxation response in your body. So when you're feeling anxious, and I absolutely still get anxious, I still have good days and bad days, there's no doubt about it. But these practices help you ride those waves a lot better. And it invokes the relaxation response in your body. 
which, which is the healthier state of your body, right? When your body is relaxed, then your body, your body's innate wisdom to heal itself can happen. So if you're always in a state of stress, which I was before, before my cancer diagnosis, absolutely, I was stressed out all the time and I didn't care. Because again, I thought it was just normal and everybody's got to deal with it. That's really what I think the core of my, like, if I had to guess, the reason for my cancer was because I was in a constant state of stress. Okay. Hmm. But then getting back to integrative ways, I, this was back in 2012. And I think a lot of the research in mainstream has caught up now. But back in 2012, they weren't using immunotherapy. And I found a really good naturopath who helped me discover all these things. So I was injecting myself with an immunotherapy that's basically uh, boosts your own immune system. And what else was I doing? <laughs> Drinking a lot more water, which I wasn't doing before, exercising more than before. But basically, it's the holistic way of looking at things, right? But again, I really. I would never say mindfulness meditation cures cancer. I would never say that to anybody. But I think it creates a state of being that helps you create space for your body to heal itself. As an addition to mindfulness and meditation, the topics that we are talking right now, I want to ask you, what is your relationship with self-judgment as part of your mindfulness meditation practice? Oh, that's a good one. I think everybody judges themselves at some point. And I used to do that a lot. I used to, like before my cancer diagnosis, I used to, you know, sit in meetings at work and kind of kicking myself silently, like, why didn't you say that better? Why didn't you speak up? And, you know, people aren't going to respect you unless you speak as well as the other person across the table and all that sort of thing. I was full of that. And through these many years of practicing mindfulness and really honestly understanding what this non-judgment means, it's, it's judging less, but it's also finding acceptance in yourself. And everybody's different and everybody brings a uniqueness to this world. And we're our own worst critics, I think, you know. I don't judge myself much at all. I mean, I certainly, I certainly do things that I kind of regret for sure, but I make it better. Like if I did something like I snapped at somebody, for instance, you know, I'll apologize. Sincerely. Are you open to talking about any of those things that you regret? <laughs> that I regret? I don't, you know, Nishad, I don't really have any big things that I regret. Not big things. I regret little things like like if I kind of snap at my husband because I'm having a bad day or something like that. I've had some big stuff happen in my life for sure. Like I went through a divorce and, you know, I had to end collaborations with people sometimes. But to me, it's all part of the flow. And I always learn something from it. It's so, part of the flow. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about your poem, Present Moment. The present, and I will, I will 
read a few lines from that poem. Okay. And I will ask you to describe what it means. The present moment is the only place where we really are. It is more alive than our past can ever be. It is more alive than our future that has not yet come. And we have so much to lose if we let it get away. Can you describe that poem in few words or in any details? Absolutely. So thank you. You're referring to a video poem that I created and posted publicly. That's correct. Called The Present Moment. Um, and it is just basically nailing the point, bringing the point home that the only thing we really have and that's real is the present moment. Because if we live in the past, and we all do to some extent, right? And I used to do this a lot. Like I went through a divorce and I've got a daughter and I was always really worried about what's it going to do to my daughter, right? So I lived that way for many, many years. So if we live in the past, you know, what good is that? We should learn from the past, absolutely, but not ruminate. So mindfulness is about not ruminating about things in the past. So if we catch ourselves and realize that we're having thoughts that are not helpful, that's when we should really make a decision in that moment. Do I really need to be thinking about this right now? And that's actually something I teach and, and that I say at conferences. One little easy mindfulness thing you can do right away is at any point in your day, stop and pause for just a second and ask yourself, do I need to be thinking about this right now? And it's really interesting because you think, well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm planning my day tomorrow. That's a, a functional, useful thought. That's great. But if I'm just kind of rehashing some argument I had with somebody last week, then that's not helpful, right? So catching ourselves having these un unhelpful thoughts is a really healthy thing. And then the future hasn't happened. So why worry about it? I mean, it's okay to plan for the future and think about it, but not have anxiety about what may or may not happen. So that poem helps us just ground in the present moment and enjoy the beauty of the present moment. I, I, I want to share my personal stuff around this mm -hmm. poem and the present moment. I think it is okay to create plans. We all need plans about the future. Without plans, we will not move anywhere we if we do not know the target we don't know where we are headed towards but falling in love with the future can be a troublesome activity so if we can just make plans and live in the present moment i get overwhelmed at times and i remind myself just be in the present moment you only have today you only have this present moment you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow or even in the next hour. Just why not make the best out of this moment? Because mm -hmm. it is a beautiful day. I remind myself every mm -hmm. single time. And I don't live in the past, but this is human being nature. We automatically live in the future because mm -hmm. we all have goals, desires, and plannings which is necessary to achieve things. But mm -hmm. falling in love in the, for the future and not being present 
is not good really yeah yeah you bring up a good point i mean realistically in our lives we need to plan for the future for sure but i guess it's really it's really about not obsessing about it and not letting it bring you down you know if something doesn't happen that you had hoped would happen in the present moment it's really interesting you know i <laughs> my daughter just said to me yesterday she called me and she says mom i'm really bored <laughs> you know and i thought here here's an example of living in the present moment yeah you might be bored but you know what 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 can you think of right now that you can appreciate and be grateful for well we can be grateful for maybe we don't have any aches and pains in our body that we feel our body actually feels good today you know you and i nishant are talking and and this is uplifting and fun and meaningful and i'm very present for our discussion right now even though i've had a really big day and to be honest with you a half hour before our conversation my husband and i had a bit of a, a little debate about something and we got a bit heated which is unusual for us but present i'm with you now and with your audience and that's a beautiful thing thank you for giving your presence to us and mm-hmm. wendy i would love to ask you about your change management techniques that you combine with mindfulness meditation to help people through difficult changes so what is the context of change management with mindfulness meditation okay great that's a good question so my last career was change management and it's simply a profession that helps an organization through change and people through change okay so it it tends to focus on the people side of change and so what i was what i did actually back in 2011 is i experimented with the group i was leading in meditation at lunchtime and i said hey would you be open to being guinea pigs i want to combine my knowledge of change management with mindfulness and meditation they said yes absolutely use us as guinea pigs because we were going through a really tough transition in the company and wow i i couldn't believe the effect it has and and if people are interested they can find it on my website which is thecalmmonkey.com and i i researched and i collected data on how this technique helped people so i want to just briefly talk about the five stages of this model when somebody goes through a major change in their life so if i can ask you and your audience just for a moment to think about a major change that you're currently going through or went through recently just bring that to mind for a moment and when we first hear about a major change so let me give an example maybe at work there's going to be a major reorganization and really when we're first hearing about a change the first step is awareness and that's when you are learning about the change you're hearing about it you're starting to think about oh how could that affect me it's really about awareness of the change and this is when you can also look at yourself and have some self awareness about how you're feeling about that change okay so awareness is the first step the second step is understanding and that is when you 
are starting to realize how the change is actually going to impact you. And you can start to seek to understand why this change is challenging for you. And the third step is acceptance. So acceptance doesn't, doesn't at all mean that you need to just kind of, you know, fall over and allow this to happen to you. It doesn't mean you have to like what's happening to you. But what it really means is acceptance is about recognizing the situation is happening to you so you can constructively move forward. So it's kind of a, a recognition of what's happening so you can see yourself going through it and constructively move forward with it. And the fourth step is commitment. And that's when you are ready to take action and kind of take control of yourself in the situation and commit to taking action. And the last step can be, it's not always there, but can be advocacy. So this is when you see the positives and maybe help others through this change as well. So what I just described, those five things, awareness, understanding, acceptance, commitment, and advocacy. If you can imagine, if I were to draw a line that dips down, so it starts out with awareness, and then it starts dipping down when the, the change starts to actually impact your life. And then you go to understanding, acceptance is right at the bottom of this dip. Because once you start accepting, then you can start coming back up. And commitment and advocacy is back up. So it's kind of like a U-shaped curve. And so what I did is I taught people about these five stages, and then I created meditations to guide people through those different stages, through the life cycle of change. So the research results are on my website, and I actually created a dealing with change toolkit that people can use in confidence and privately to guide themselves through a major change. And your website is thecalmmonkey.com? That's right, yeah. C-A-L-M-M-O-N-K-E-Y.com. Yeah, with the at the beginning of it, so thecalmmonkey.com. Yes, thank you. Wendy, we all love to hear about book recommendations. And I want to ask you, what books have you gifted the most or have inspired you the most? I, I think my number one choice, and it's not a new book, but it's called Full Catastrophe Living. Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn. Mm. And when people come to me wanting to take the facilitated training and certification course, they already need to be practitioners and have a base understanding of mindfulness and meditation. If they are not quite ready to enter into the program, then this book is something I ask them to read because to me, it's a really good description and a full description of what mindfulness really is. So that's one of my favorites. I like everything that Thich Nahan writes. Thich Nahan is a a monk, and he's written lots of books. And I'd like to give a third recommendation because I deal a lot with mindfulness in the workplace. The book called The Mind of the Leader, The Mind of the Leader by Rasmus Hogard and Jacqueline Carter. And I know these folks because I speak at uh, conferences with them. 
That's excellent for leadership, mindful leadership in the workplace. Wendy, have you taught meditation to your daughter and husband? <laughs> yes, absolutely. My husband helps me behind the scenes in my business, and he is at all the conferences with me. So he's, he understands the, the, the power of this. He's a really calm person, naturally. He's not like me at all. <laughs> so he finds that he doesn't have to sit and meditate very often. It's only when he, you know, when he's uh, stressed out about something, which doesn't happen very often. Unfortunately, one of the things that people kind of assume is that mindfulness and meditation is to calm you down when you're having a hard time in your life. But it's really not just for getting through tough times. It is useful at any time. And even when things are going well for me, I still keep up my practice because it helps you find even more joy in what you're doing. And my daughter, you know, I started teaching her when she was uh, a young teen. And, you know, I didn't think she was listening at all. <laughs> you know, I was talking and she was like, yeah, yeah. And she would come to my meditation classes and fall asleep. <laughs> which is a little embarrassing for me to have her do that. How but old is your daughter? Right now? Oh, I hate to say she's 27 now. <laughs> I wish she could say, I wish I could say she was 10, but she's not. She's 27. And, but what's really neat is I overheard her talking to her friends about a year ago and she didn't know I was listening and she was telling them all about mindfulness <laughs> and she was saying the right things. So lo and behold, even when you think somebody is not listening, they, they could be listening and taking in what you're saying. You have used this phrase, lo and behold, several times. Oh, did where, I? Where, where has this come from? I don't know. I didn't even realize. Where has this come from? I don't know, to be honest with you. I think it is a Chinese quote. Oh, perhaps it is. I don't know. From Lao Tzu. I may be incorrect, but I, have, I use this phrase at times. <laughs> so Wendy, before we conclude our conversation, I want to ask you, what is your most critical need, most critical emotional need that you're working on now and in the upcoming years? My most critical emotional need? Wow. That's a really good one. I think I'm going to say to stay in the state I'm in right now. You caught me on a really good day. <laughs> and I'm feeling just so much gratitude for what's happening in my life now. And I wish I could kind of bottle it up and keep it and open up that bottle on days that I'm not feeling so, so great. But I, I'm just really thankful for all the people that I meet and all the people who are are learning and practicing mindfulness and help and wanting to help other people discover it i just i just get so much satisfaction and joy from seeing that happen in the world and and you're one of those people nishant for what you're so doing thank you so much for what you're doing and i know it's a lot of work i realize that but knowing that you, you and I will never know how far reaching this goes. We just can't know that. And I'm sure you've had it happen before that somebody you may not know or somebody that you 
you know, met briefly like nine months ago comes back to you and, and just says, hey, you know, when you said that to me, that really made a big difference. And just knowing that what, what we're doing, if it can help people, that's the best thing. And the emotion I want to carry forward is just hoping that I am lucky enough to stay doing what I'm doing for a long time. Thank you for your beautiful response. And our listeners, including me, can find you online on your website, thecalmmonkey.com. It is with the, T-H-E-C-A-L-M-M-O-N-K-E-Y.com, thecalmmonkey.com. Thank you so much, Wendy. It was a great, heartfelt conversation with you. Thank you so much. And I hope this has helped somebody in some way out there. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again.